0: And so lesson number two, the the, the reading is a little more lengthy than usual, and I wrestled with it. I wanted to read it all, but but I'm just going to do it because it's the Word of God. And so 11th chapter of the book of Numbers, verse number four. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up, and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Amen. We'll just skip down to verse 10, please. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of their tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Verse 12, did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. You all are saying hallelujah and amen because you like me. We've been there about different things in our lives. So that's not his, he's not finished praying. He says, if you treat me like this, and I'm not praying like this, please, please kill me here now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. We've all been to about the end of the road where we thought maybe death might be a better option. Verse number 16. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and of officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take off the spirit that is upon you and put the same spirit upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Somebody say amen. He always comes through. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying you will, who will give us meat to eat for it was well with me in Egypt therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat it you shall eat not one day nor two days nor five days nor 10 days nor 20 days but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and because of the loathsomeness you are to you've come because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying why did we ever come out of Egypt Verse 21. And Moses said, The people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus, for your answer. And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? I feel it now. Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So would you put the title slide on there for me, please? One after that, the title slide. I want to talk to you about this thought. Even the one after that. Little people, big risk, and huge circles. Stretch your hands in my direction. Offer a prayer for me, because the more you pray for me, the better I am to bless and we to bless each other father i just praise you that the holy spirit will reign on us holy spirit reign, make us one with the word today and make us one with you lord with you god i pray you bless everybody under the sound of my voice and then this will go over the airwaves it will go on the internet and there'll be people in different places hearing so god i pray you'd make us all one at whatever moment we hear may it find a place of lodging in our minds our hearts May the Word come alive in us that we just don't hear only, but we do the Word. Thank you for yeah. it. Thank you for everybody here. And for the blessing we give in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Wow. He is a good God. Amen. Hey, uh, I have challenged you because I told you the series of sermons of which I am bringing this, the second of four weeks, comes from the inspiration of the anointing of the Lord upon Pastor Mark Batterson, who wrote the book The Circle Maker. He is the pastor of the National Community Church in Washington, D.C. And you have responded. You have purchased this book. Others have said to me that you have gone and it's not available. Somebody texted me and said, mine just came in. I can't hardly wait to read it. And the kind of response that I heard from you regarding your desire and your passion to be a circle maker... And the books that I think are being sold, it is my uh, somewhat partial intent to contact Pastor Mark Batterson and ask him for some royalties so we can contribute to our building fund because I'm promoting his book. The reason I'm promoting his book is because it comes out of this book, his book. So you remember last Sunday, I told you about Honai, the circle maker. And I, I told you last Sunday that... His story is a true account that you will not find in Scripture. But it is part of Jewish history that existed between the times of the Testaments. The Old Testament and the New Testament. You might remember that I mentioned to you last Sunday that there were 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. And because of the people's sins... They couldn't hear from God. But Honai was an old eccentric sage who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem while that geographical region of the world was going through an intense drought. I'm just refreshing your memory. The drought was so severe it threatened the existence of an entire generation of people before the generation of Jesus Christ. They could have been wiped out. There was no rain for months and months and months. These rivers had so narrowed until they became streams and eventually both dried up. The land was parched. There was no green vegetation to be found. Whatever livestock that survived were skinny and mangy. And the existence of an entire generation seemed sure for annihilation. But there was one man by the name of Honai who prayed anyhow. He had the faith to believe that even though His generation couldn't hear from God. God could still hear them. (laughs) And so you remember I told you that he had the the courage to step outside of the walls of Jerusalem on the parched, dry, brown sand with about a six-foot staff in his hand. As you know that culture, many people were shepherds and it was customary for them to go around with a staff in their hand. And on one day, because of his boldness and his faith in God, he, with his staff in his hand, went around where he was standing, reaching out as far as he can with a staff, and began to draw a circle in the ground. All the way 360 degrees. And Honai said to God that day, I'm not going to leave this circle and this place of prayer But I want to meet with you here as long as it takes for you to have mercy on us. And I'm not just praying for a little sprinkle of rain. I'm not just praying for a summer passing cloud. But I'm praying for rain that will fill up cisterns and caverns and rivers and lakes. And by the time He finished His prayer... God began to send rain. It sent so much rain until the land was blessed. The drought was stopped all because of the power of one man who said, God, I believe that nothing is impossible with you, and I'm going to hold my place until you show up and show out. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So, I'm going to now proceed by telling you that before the first raindrop fell, it would be safe to assume that Honai had to feel a little bit foolish. Standing inside a circle and demanding rain is a risky proposition. But vowing that you won't leave the circle until it rains is even riskier. Now, you need to remember that Honai didn't draw a semicircle; He drew a complete circle. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that there was no escape clause. There was no expiration date. Honai backed himself into a circle. And the only way out was him to have a miracle. Oh, my, my. <laughs> If I get excited too sooner than you all do, just know that I've been preaching this to myself just about five, six times. You see, here's what I've understood about people of the Word of God in the testaments and people like Honai when it comes to them getting an answer to prayer. I have come to appreciate that drawing prayer circles often makes make one make it look like an exercise in foolishness. But that's faith. You see, faith, and if you take notes, get this faith is the willingness to look foolish. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean Noah. Noah was commissioned by God to build a boat in a place where there hadn't been boats before. Not near the ocean, not near the lake. He was commissioned to build a boat when it had never rained on the earth before. That might look pretty foolish. Can I get an amen? Not only Noah, but the army of the children of Israel, of which I spoke about last Sunday, considering their walk around the walls of Jericho... I imagine they looked foolish the first six days when they suited up and took the Ark of the Covenant and the priests and the trumpet blowers and the army marched around the walls of Jericho one time each day for the first six days. I imagine the inhabitants of the city kind of got used to it and thought, that's pretty foolish. Not only that, because I've come to understand a little shepherd boy by the name of David went out to an army camp where a tall giant of a man by the name of Goliath was bellowing out his threat against the people of God. And it might have looked pretty foolish for a little freckle-faced young teenager to take a little slingshot and a few stones. to go against a man nine foot tall and a whole lot more experience in fighting than he was. It might have looked mighty foolish for three wise men to start out from a place that they knew where they were and to keep following a star that they followed for about two years that they didn't even know whether it was going to take them to Timbuktu or not. I'm suggesting to you that it might have looked foolish for Peter to step out. Oh, somebody help me preach. Oh, I'm just liable to have a holy fit by myself. There in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus walking on the water. And he says, come Peter, it might have looked foolish for Peter to step out of the boat and start walking. But drawing circles of prayer might look foolish. I would suggest to you that after they mocked and beat Jesus almost next door to death, before they crucified him, they put a crown of thorns on his head. And it might have looked foolish to everybody else. What kind of king is that? Rang thorns on his head. But I've said all that to tell you, brothers and sisters, the results speak for themselves. The flood did come and Noah and his family were spared. The walls of Jericho did fall down. David did take one stone guided by the Holy Ghost and nailed Goliath to the ground. The three wise men not only found a Messiah, but they found a King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Peter did walk on the water and Jesus Christ is now and always has been our great Messiah and King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So go ahead and call me foolish. Go ahead and mock me and laugh at me when I pray around something seven times. But I'm not praying to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to my God with whom nothing is impossible. We'll monitor here. Somebody give a Lord some glory. Yeah, I, I got to tell you what the Bible says in First Corinthians one twenty-one. <laughs> Paul says, "But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise." And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the shame, the things that are mighty, that no flesh may glory in his presence. You see, the reason I'm all wound up is because I got some circles I've been drawing. And I've come to understand, sometimes the bigger the circle, the more foolish you look. <laughs> So go ahead and add me into the nuts crowd. But when I get my answer and you get a portion of that blessing, be sure to come and say, thank you, Jesus. Not me, but Jesus. See, I figure for Moses, drawing circles must have seemed foolish. I figure he was familiar with probably looking foolish by the time he got into the wilderness. Because I would suggest to you that when he approached Pharaoh and demanded to let the people go, after being 400 years in captivity, it might look mighty foolish to everybody else because Moses is going to the highest authority in that region of the world saying let the people of God go. He doesn't have any army. He do not have any government to back him up. I imagine Moses must have looked pretty foolish when he's standing on the border of the Red Sea that is miles and miles and miles in its scope. And there's an army charging behind him and the people of God who just left Egypt. About a million and a half of them. At least, Pharaoh changed his mind and said, I thought I'd let him go, but now I changed my mind. I'm going after him. I imagine Moses must have looked foolish holding up a staff on a mountaintop, talking to an ocean out there about opening up. I, I imagine Moses must have looked foolish. Oh, help me, Lord Jesus promising people from our text that they're going to have meat to eat out there in a barren wilderness where there is no livestock and there is no grocery store and there are no butchers. I imagine he might have looked foolish, but but here's the key for you and I. It was his willingness to look foolish that resulted in epic miracles. Give me an amen. Because he was willing to look foolish, Pharaoh had to let the people go because God sent 10 plagues because if you will risk your Reputation, God will take care of the rest. Can I get an amen? I'm telling you, not only did they leave Egypt, but also when they got to the Red Sea, even though it might have looked foolish, a man talking to a water, God did open up the Red Sea and a miracle took place. And I'd like you to know because you read with me this morning in my text, it might have looked foolish about Moses promising people meat out there in the wilderness, but God did send manna and meat from heaven because there was one man who said, I don't care what you or you or you think about me. I care about God's abiding truth in my life. So, so I will tell you this morning that circle makers are risk takers. Oh, help me Jesus. In order to experience a miracle, brothers and sisters, you have to be willing to take risk. If you're not willing to step out of the boat, you ain't walking on no water. If you're not willing to march around your Jericho and keep marching, even though it's now four days. See, some people, they want their, they want their microwave miracle. Stick it in there. It's been frozen in the fridge for 15 months, but they're going to eat it in about three minutes. And it may be good. But if you are not willing to circle your Jericho, don't expect no walls to come down. Help me here, somebody. I, I, if you're not willing to follow a star, <laughs> then you probably won't find the greatest adventure, adventure of your life. Because circle mis- makers are risk takers. And one of the most, and here's where, here's where this word gets me. And boy, sometimes I try to omit the part of the word where it gets me. So it makes me look good. But that'd be telling a lie. One of my greatest fears when God challenges me with a vision, a dream, a promise, as, as He's doing with me now with our building. And our future plans. My fear is risking my reputation. To trust God. Let me see if I can clarify. Honai already had a reputation as a rainmaker. But he was willing to risk his reputation by praying for rain one more time. And the rest of it is history. Let me see if I can even go further. The greatest chapters in history always begin with risk. And the same is true with the chapters of your life. If you are willing to risk your reputation, you'll never build a boat like Noah or never walk on the water like Peter. I've got to give you this gem that I found in- 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 this week. And that is, you and I cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk your own. Come on, help me hear somebody. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there comes a moment when you need to make the call. You need to make the move about what the Holy Ghost has already told you to do. Come on and say amen. There comes a moment when you got to quit thinking about what the options are. And after praying and circling them after a little while, there comes a point where you understand that circle makers are risk takers. And I say that to tell you that Moses had learned this lesson. What did he learn? He learned that if you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. I don't know about you, but after about 40 years, manna and meat in the desert is not going to suffice if there's milk and honey across the Jordan. Just a little insert. ain't in this book, but I ain't all about it. You see, I want you to understand... That there are things that God will call you to believe in, trust for, seek Him for, put in your life, deposit in your spirit, call you to do. To believe for your marriage, believe for your finances, believe for your deliverance, believe for your getting out of debt, believe for your career, believe for your business. That that it's going to look foolish at first. We came to serve this church in 1985. And and we, I, I had already, before I got here... Not even knowing we're getting here. And I told that that account last week. So get the CD if you'd like to know about that. Because it's powerful in what God has done. Before Valerie and I got here in 1985, I had already written down on a piece of paper, more than one, about what God was saying to me about being a pastor, about building a church and building a ministry and reaching people. And oh, it was staggering to me. 28 years old. You see what 27 years of pastoring would do to a black-haired guy at age 28 coming to pastor? that's a little side note. And I, I tell you, we 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 got here, we got trusting God and believing God with those who were here. God began to send us some increase and we needed to build a, a education facility. We owed we owe debt of about $70,000 on the existing sanctuary. The education facility that we desperately needed would cost about $90,000. And I'm telling you, when we, we were smaller in size, and Brother Doris and Sister Vini would know that, some of the others who were here, we're smaller in size, uh, $90,000 among the size of people we had, and the kind of pattern of giving back then was as much as if you're praying for $900,000. The challenge was there. But we went ahead and built, and, and people were united together, and then about uh, then in 87, two years after we got here, uh, the Lord laid it upon our hearts uh, that we need, we're going to need to expand our territory. We're going to need to lengthen the cords and strengthen the stake and, and, and reach out in all directions because God is going to fulfill what He gave us in the dream and vision. So we decided we need to get some property and buy some land and, and, and ten acres came available. These the ten original acres of where we are now. And I, and I, I challenged the, the leaders of our church, and challenged the church, and we prayed. We owed ninety thousand on one thing, seventy thousand on something else, and, and that was eighty-seven. We could get ten acres at eighty-seven on Highway Thirty-four for <laughs> uh, for six thousand dollars an acre. <laughs> Them days are gone, brothers. How I many old oh, God's doing, huh? And here it was. God challenged us. It, it, and I had uh, one, one person in particular who appeared to be on my team but wasn't on my team. Who appeared to be cheering for me but really wasn't cheering for me. You know? and, and I had one, one of the persons at that time in the church whose name I won't give away. Uh, and It's all been fixed up and all. But, uh, but he's not here anymore. So I, he, I wasn't born last night. I'll be talking about him if he's right here. Uh, the the idea was he said now pastor how come we buying land and projecting building in the future when we owe money on the present existing sanctuary and this new building how come how come we're doing that that doesn't seem like a lot of sense here we're just a, a few of us and I said God has opened the door God has given us a vision and he has told us to press forward he will if we preach his word we minister to people we carry out the dream God will take care of the church and I'm here to tell you brothers and sisters that not only did God take care of us but here you are sitting today. Oh, somebody ought to give the Lord a lot of praise because somebody dared to believe in the eyes of what other people thought. Foolish. Here's what I'm telling you this morning. We went we put a sign on this property in 1987 when we bought the original ten. We put a sign on it. A name of our church at that time was Peachtree City Church of God. There was a large oak tree on the property, and some of you remember. And we put future home of Peachtree City Church of God. For ten years, that sign was on this property and we ain't even got here yet. I'd pass here. Every, our home was in this direction. Every day coming to church, I'd pass the sign and I'd say, Thank you, Jesus. Every day going home, one day we're going to get there, Lord. I'd stop my car every once in a while and get out and say a little prayer. Thank you, Jesus. For ten years, folks might have thought, What a foolish thing that is. It's now ten years and they ain't going nowhere. But thank God after 1997, we got on this property and put this church here. It's now been about four 14 years. We have about 25 acres, and God is fulfilling His promise. If you're willing to look foolish, but believe God anyhow, give the Lord another praise. Somebody. Oh my my, help me, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. I I I got to hurry here. You see, the Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years. God delivered them out of slavery. But after Moses got to dealing with these people who had been in slavery for a season of time, he began to realize that it's much harder to get Egypt out of the Israelites than to get the Israelites out of Egypt. Because wherever you are, that's where you are. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) Yeah, I got a high school diploma and about three... Other degrees, and I just said something profound. Wherever you are, that's where you are. And that ain't really what I meant. I just want to introduce this thought. Wherever you are, if you are a doubter, I don't care if you move from South Metro to another Metro, you, and you ain't been changed by the power of God, but you're taking it with you. If you're skeptic, if you are always blowing up apart somebody's dream, but if you wouldn't take the risk, you see, wherever, you, you can come out of Alabama, but still be. And I have no prejudice against Alabama. You can come out of Georgia and go to New York and still have. Yeah. yeah. You can come out of Trinidad and be in America for 43 years and still. Yeah. And once in a while, I get back to my Trinidad way of talking to my wife. That ain't bad. I just get back in my vernacular. She said, I thought you'd forget that by now. You could take the boy out of Trinidad, but you can't take the Trinidad out of the boy. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that ain't so good. So, so here you are. you got people come out of Egypt. Despite their memories of them being slaves and the ten miracles that God gave to bring them out, they want to go back to Egypt so so i need to hurry our text says in chapter 11 verse 4 look at the screen and i'll read it it says now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving so the children of israel also wept again saying who will give us meat to eat we remember the fish which we ate freely in egypt the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions the garlic but now our whole being is dried up there's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes isn't it amazing they're complaining I know it's kind of shocking. Instead of manna, they want meat. And for those of you that are hardcore carnivores, <laughs> you know that you've got to pray really hard about going on this Daniel Fast kind of business. Because Daniel Fast don't have no meat. Pardon the double negative, but... huh? Somebody says you ain't ready to die unless you first ate one of these Brazilian-style all-you-can-eat-meat restaurants. Go ahead and say amen. I can tell by looking at us you've been there and done that. I'm waiting for my turn. Now, you've got to think about the selective memory going on in these people who came out of Egypt. The Israelites longingly remember the free fish they ate in Egypt. But they forget this little fact. That the food wasn't free. Because they wasn't free. That was slave food. Y'all are hearing me, somebody? They weren't free. They they were victims of genocide. At one particular part of their history, before God delivered them, Pharaoh commanded that all the male babies be killed. That's genocide. It's amazing how you forget. Huh? They, they, They missed the menu on the meat. or the meat, on the menu, rather. And isn't it just a little bit ironic that the Israelites were complaining about one miracle while asking for another? I mean, the capacity for complaining was astounding. And, and sometimes I may scoff at the Israelites and think, how dare you? When every once in a while I gotta think about, how dare me. Right. I mean, here God supernaturally gives us bread in the desert called manna. And every morning we collect it and we put it together. And the Bible describes what it looks like and what it tasted like and how they fixed it. They would either grind it in their meal or grind it in other kinds of ways. Bake it in, an, uh, in, in some kind of a, over fire of some sort. It would taste like a sweet roll of some kind of way. And, and they didn't have nothing to eat. And God gives it to them every day. And, and here in the middle of already getting a miracle, they're complaining about Wow. You know, brothers and sisters, there are miracles all around us all the time. And it's so easy to find something to complain about in the midst of the miracles all around us. Amen. Just, I, I read this this week and out of this brother's book. Just the capacity to read for your eye to fix itself upon a page or a book and read. The simple act of reading involves millions of impulses firing across billions of synapses in your brains. Listen to this. Here's the miracle. While you're reading, your heart goes about its business circulating five quarts of blood through 100,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries. There's more. Isn't it amazing that you can even concentrate while you're reading because while all that's going on, you are on a planet that is traveling 67,000 miles per hour through space while spinning around on its axis at a speed of 1,000 miles an hour. And you wonder why you got vertigo? All that's going on. The miracles going on. And sometimes we forget about the manna we already received. Now, now and I need to, let me get to the point. And verse 21, and so Moses hears them complaining and he says, uh, God, ha, ha, tell me how you're going to give meat to all these people. Verse 21, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you said I will give them meat and they may eat for a whole month. Moses' dilemma, please God, don't set me up for failure here. I'm risking my reputation. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide food for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Moses, he's he's understanding that that the math doesn't add up. Give me an amen, somebody. Doesn't even come close. I'm not counting the women and the children and, and, and the elderly, but I'm counting just those who are qualified as fighters among all the people among us, There's about 600,000 men. There's a million and a half, maybe three million of us, Lord. Tell me, how are you going to give meat to them? Not just for a day or a week, but a whole month. I mean, if we hooded all the cattle, all the animals that we brought with us, it wouldn't feed them for a day. If we were close enough to the water, all the fish we could catch wouldn't feed them for a day, much less a month. And so he's saying, you know, it, it just doesn't add up. And that's the way it is sometimes when God challenges our faith. He tells us to take a job, a certain job He wants us to take, when it's paying less than the one we already had. We can't figure it out, because, but we say God has a plan. So we, God says something to us like, I want you to go on a mission trip. I want you to get a heart for the people of Haiti or Africa or India. I want you to go and experience. You've seen the commercials. You've, you've, you've heard. I want you to go, but God, I don't know how we could add up. How can I do it? God says, I want you to to prosper financially. I want you to bring your tithe into the storehouse. I want you to to bring your offering. One-tenth of what I give you belongs to God. I want you to sow. I want you to give. And and somebody in your mind is saying, because we fear our flesh and our reputation, how am I going to make the car payment if I tithe? How am I going to make the house payment if I tithe? How am I going to pay the utility? God says, I want it off the top. I don't want your leftovers. I want it over the top because I want to bless you from the top down. And, And the flesh says it doesn't add up. God says to you, I, I, want you to, I want you to finish school. I want you to finish grad school. I want you to adopt a child. I want you to, etc., cetera, et cetera. And, and I, all the time we're thinking, but, but God, I it just done that up. Help us, Jesus. I, I can't help but think this, and I need to, That some 1,500 years later, after this miracle out here about the manna and the quail, 1,500 years later, there was another food miracle in the Judean wilderness. When Jesus had taught the people who followed him all day the word and truth. And the crowd amassed itself all around Jesus in the wilderness because the the town and the nearby city was too small to contain the crowd. By the end of the day, Jesus said, send them away. Now that they may go back to their towns and places and be safe going home and take care of their needs. Pardon me, let me say it this way. Jesus didn't say that. The disciples said, send them away. Jesus said, no, feed them. Can I get an amen here? And and, and one of the disciples, I think in this case it was Andrew, after having word that there was a a boy with a lunch bag there who had five loaves and two fish, said, Lord, all we have is this sack lunch of five loaves and two fish. They're not restaurants, they're not bakeries, they're not places for people to go eat. How can we feed them? And so I I, I hasten to say to you that that Andrew's thinking, how far will all this go? Because it just doesn't add up among 5,000 and more. Because in the natural, we all know that 5 plus 2 equals 7. But when you add God into the equation, 5 plus 2 doesn't equal 7. When you give what you have to God, God takes and takes what is addition and converts it into multiplication. So what you have with God... You have 5 plus 2 equals 5,000. It may not add up to you, but just take what you have and give it to God. Here's God's math. Not only does God multiply the meal of that boy to feed 5,000... But the Bible says they actually end up with more leftovers than when they started to feed the people. Because that's God's economy. The 12 baskets that were left over. You remember after they fed everybody, they took up 12 baskets left over. So the real equation is 5 plus 2 equals 5,000 with 12 baskets left over. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Give him praise if you're going to. So, I need to say this to you. I need you to understand. And I'll skip here. Because we read it. No, we didn't read that. Let me say it, say it to you. In verse 31, the Bible says that God sent quail. He sent a wind from the southwest. And... He sent an abundance of quail meat. It blew for a long time, and by the time God got through sending quail from the heavens, there was there were quail, there was quail there that was so amassed it was three feet high for fifteen miles in every direction around the camp of Israel. Can can I get an amen here, somebody? Uh, uh, What what I'm saying to you is, uh, when God got through answering their prayers, he caused a quail-mageddon. Cloudy with a chance of quail. Somebody help me and say amen. You understand, brothers and sisters, by me telling you that. They, 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 those who did the math on this, being that it was 15 square miles around the camp, 3 feet high, it said it covered about 700 square miles of space, which is about 10 times the size of the square mile of the city of our capital of our nation, which is Washington, D.C., 3 feet high. Help me hear somebody. As yeah. uh, a matter of fact, those who did the math said to so what you had, if you measured out the size of the quail, medium size and medium weight, what God sent by this quail. Quailmageddon was about 105 million quail. That's about a month worth of meat. I'm telling you, not only does God answer, but God over-answers. So the question for you and I this morning that you and I got to come to the conclusion with is found in part of our text, which I think is verse number 21. Is that the one or 23, brothers and sisters, where they asked the question? I found it now. Verse 23, and the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Help me here, somebody. That, that, that's the, your answer to that question will determine how big your prayers are going to be. I'm trying to finish. Your answer to that question will determine the kind of answer you'll get for your marriage, for your finances, for your future, for your deliverance from a habit, a lifestyle, an addiction that has been changed on you. I looked up several other translations just because I wanted to give power to this question. In the New Living Translation, the question, same verse, has my arm lost its power? The question is, Do you think I'm weak? God says to Moses, Where am I get quail or meat or manna or, or any kind of meat to feed a million and a half people for a month? And God says, Do you think I'm weak? Is the Lord's power limited? I like the amplified version. Has the Lord's hand, his ability and power, become short, sure, torrid and inadequate? The answer is, no. I didn't hear you. No. And so, it depends on how you answer that question. Jerry Jacobs, who's here this morning, his wife, he and Cleo are part of this church for many years. His wife is our church treasurer. And I'm, I'm not doing this because he desired to be patted or applauded. I'm doing it because of the miracle that it is. Jerry told me last Sunday in between both services, he said, Pastor, I just want to give you this testimony based on what I heard you preach this morning. He said, last year, Pastor, when, when uh, you challenged a church to rise up and build and ask the congregation to give pledges, financial gifts every month, a week for the next three years to the vision, the dream, so we could not have a big debt, we signed up because we want to be part of it also. They, they own a business, they own a restaurant, the city of Tyrone. Had it for a while and serve others and serve their church. And he said to me, he said, right after we uh, made that pledge and signed that card that we're going to give above our tithe and offerings to rise up and build in the economy that last year was and the year preceding, all of a sudden our business began to decrease. Customers, not as many, income, not as much. Because sure enough, as you draw a circle in the sand and you tell God, I'm going to step in here. The devil is going to show you why you shouldn't have done that. Because his business is fear, scare, tactics to keep you from the greater blessing. These sufferings that you have are momentary and temporal for the greater glory to come. And, and Jerry said this to me and it, it so sparked my faith. He said he and his wife, after they began to see that what was happening and knew it to be an attack of Satan... He said they talked to several of their friends in church or others that were faith-believing, praying people. And they asked them to come over on a certain day. And let's pray together and we're going to march around our business. Seven times. Just like the Word of God taught. And we're going to trust God. Jerry said they came, he and Cleo and them and they... Now, in, in, in where the business is in Tyrone, Chamrock... It's near the post office, near the fire station, just kind of a close-knit community. And they marched around one time, and and Jerry got to thinking, because I appreciate his honesty, his flesh got the best of him for a moment, said, "Uh, What are going to people think about us doing this? (laughs) People coming and going to the post office, going to the fire station. He said, Sure enough, about the second time we started going around, people started peeping at us. (laughs) You know, sometimes people will join you because they ain't got a clue what's going on. They figure you're looking, you're looking for something going on. There down here. What are we looking for? <laughs> keep coming. <laughs> Thank God. Bring them on. Don't even tell them what you're doing because they'll back out of you. Say, We're going to find it. We'll know we found it. Just keep coming. Shit, dear, love. Seven times, Jerry, you did it. Seven times they prayed and things didn't happen exactly that day. But things were ignited, challenged, blessed. And from that time on and now. They have been able to meet their commitment, be blessed of God, and see their business prosper again. Because if you are willing to risk your reputation on the promises of God, stand to your feet all over this church. And after you stood there, give the Lord some praise. I hear you. Everybody, give the Lord some praise. Come on, come on, put it together. I, I close with these thoughts because I want to, I want to pray over you before you go. Our biggest problem is our small view of God. Isn't that what God challenged Moses when he said, Am I shortened? If you have a small view of God, you'll pray pray small prayers. Something of what you said earlier. If if, If you figure that if I can't figure it out, God must not be able to. Man, you've limited God. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not. I'm challenging you this morning. Do not leave here with little faith and little God. And put him in your glove box and you take care of your world. You put yourself in a little place and put him where he belongs. The size of our prayers depends on the size of our God. So what step of faith do you need to take? What decision do you need to make? What promise do you need to see happen this morning? I want you one more time in this closing prayer to circle your Jericho whatever it is this morning and for some of us it may be that we first want to do a self-examination here and get out all the clutter all the baggage all the other stuff because hear me if, if we know there's any sin in our lives the first prayer should be God forgive me wash me cleanse me I have no business asking you to bless something that is not right but I'm willing to give it all up God I'm willing to draw the circle and stand in it. I- I'm, willing, I'm willing to trust you. See, I'm asking you for the next 14 days. I said 21 last week because that was a measure. I'm asking you for the next 14 days, meet somewhere with God, you and, you and God. And, and if you don't have any special needs, would you take one of these prayer concern cards that we have here? Uh, they're available everywhere. There's 31 items on here, for one for each day of the year, the, the month. It's our prayer for our building program. I've got to make a decision with our elders and our, and our church uh, leadership by the end of this month. Everything's looking. God has just blessed us. We, we were moving along. But got, we've got two contractors we're working with. I've got to come to a final decision so we can move on. And I, I'm praying. I'm circling this thing with intensity. Okay? I know it's kind of different. But I don't, I don't need you to just, I, I, to just say, Pastor, God bless you. I need you to help me circle. Can, can I get an Amen? Let me let me tell you this, okay? I'm not like Moses worried about how I'm gonna feed you guys, okay? What, what I am concerned about is I want to make sure that, that I'm in the perfect will of God. I'm not building an Alan Matura empire and I'm not trying to leave a debt for somebody else, but I know I gotta risk stepping out and trusting God just like he paid off the seventy thousand and the nine thousand and the one million point one, 000, just like he helped us buy this this all these properties. Can I get an Amen? amen. I need mean, I need mean for you to someone say, God, I ain't got a whole lot to circle around, but for that little Indian preacher, I'm gonna circle with him in Jesus' name. I'm asking you for the next 14 days. I'm asking you to get you a little prayer journal. I know I'm going on, but it's, I got me a little prayer journal. I got some stuff I got written in here. And I'm going to read them to God, pray them again. I'm, I'm going to spend some time in fasting and prayer. I'm saying to you for the next 14 days, if, if you're not serious about it, don't expect God to blow in quail in your life. But if you're serious, He'll put it three feet high and it'll last more than you have the ability to eat raise up your hands and thank God thank God that you can circle some stuff come on circle it right now in your prayer circle it right now God I'm circling my marriage I'm circling my children I'm circling my job come on let me hear you pray come on get a little bold with me get a little desperate I'm circling our finances I'm circling our ministry God I'm circling South Metro Ministries come on I'm circling the children I teach at school God I'm circling the people who work under my management and supervision come on pray for them I'm circling, oh God, the people for whom I'm responsible. Oh God, I I circle addictions and I call them to come down in Jesus' name. Come on, pray with me in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Oh God, I, I, I put myself in that circle. If there's anything in our lives today, wash us and cleanse us. If it's not belonging there. Come on and say it to Him. If there's any attitude, if there's any criticism or fault finding, if there's any bad judgmental spirit, oh God, if, I, if I'm a negative person and can't be a blessing, cleanse me of all that, God, and help me to get marching, get moving, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Praise Him a little while you sing, my brother. And bring your prayer team forward, Brother Sammy. Just have them stand all the way across the front. And I want us to just close with a praise. Lift His hands a little. If you need special praise,